Well, we're all being watched. I'm not talking about Big Brother, but we're all being watched. There's little eyes and little ears and, uh, in this room that are watching you. There's our children and our teenagers are watching us and the way that we live. Um, they're watching to see if what we say and um, the way we live match up. Um, when I think of the church and the church gathered, I think of all the ways in which uh, younger people, younger adults are watching the older and looking for them and looking to them to see, is that someone that I can emulate? Is that someone that I can learn from and grow from? Um, older, oftentimes in the church, older believers are watching the younger to see, hey, this foundation that we've laid here at this church and in the kingdom of God, are the younger people going to take up that mantle and, and be disciples and be about the kingdom? We're watching each other all the time. And maybe most importantly, there are people outside this room uh, your neighbors, the people that you work with, um, maybe some of your family who are not yet believers in Christ, and they are watching you. They are watching you because they have this idea about Christianity, and they want to know if Christianity is a hoax or not. And the way that they're determining that is that they're watching your life and my life. We are being watched. So the question is, what do people see and what do people hear when they are watching you? The Apostle Paul in the book of Titus, if you'll turn there, will be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 today. I think it's page 998, 999 on the, on the Bible next to you if you need one. Uh, the Apostle Paul was watching. If you think about what we've walked through so far in the book of Titus, he was watching. He was insisting on belief that could be seen and observed in behavior. Remember our theme, a truth that leads to godliness, that um, belief and behavior ought to look um, the same. He was also, before he even got here, he was observing Titus, young Titus, and seeing if he would be a man that was worthy to come to the island of Crete and do ministry. Titus was looking at Paul too, if you think about their relationship, and saying, is this a man that I can follow? And then you come to the book of Titus, and what do you see? You see Paul observing all these churches in the island of Crete and saying, there's some problems here. There are some problems from the outside. There is infection in these churches, and it's not good. What are we going to do about it? And he calls Titus to do something. He calls Titus to appoint elders, examples in the church. And to appoint elders means that Titus has to observe and watch men in the way that they live. Are they godly examples? Do they know the truth? And then last week, we saw watching of false teachers, people who don't believe the truth and don't act out the truth, and so the church ought to be mindful and watch out for false teaching. And you come to the passage this morning, and what you're going to see is more watching, more observing. Let me ask you a question. Are there people in this room that you watch and observe and say, can I learn something from them? Because in the passage we're in this morning, what you're going to see is what I would call a multi-generational discipleship model that helps cultivate growth and also is attractional to the outside world. So the text that we're in this morning is all about this multi-generational discipleship, older pouring into younger, older modeling and investing in younger, and younger learning and watching from older. That's what we see in the text this morning. So are we investing in the younger generation, older folks? Are we learning from the younger, from the older, as young people? Turn, if you've got your mark there on page 998, 999, uh, Titus chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 about this discipleship between generations 
that cultivates spiritual growth and attracts a watching world to Jesus. Look at it here, chapter two, a lot of watching. Two, one through, I'll read through 10 today. This is Paul to Titus. He says this, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men, you are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opportunity may, so that an opponent may not, may be put to shame, excuse me, having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 9 and 10, I'm going to add that. Bond servants, you're to be submissive to your own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let me give you a little bit of background to this text. Um, if you were to wake up in first century on a Sunday morning and go to church, uh, you would wake up to a household that likely looked different than your household looks. It would likely have grandparents in that household, parents, children, and if you were had any money and you were more affluent, you would have servants in your home to care for the home, and you would likely all go to house church together. And so what Paul is doing as he takes these 10 verses, what he's doing is he's identifying his audience. In any Christian church, this is what the audience would be in the gathering. It would be older and younger and children and bond servants. So he's identifying this audience um, that he has in that day. And I want to point out just a few things before we get into the details of the text. Paul is still very concerned about a church being sound. Have you noticed the word sound, doctrine, sound, all the way through this text? In this text, I just read, the word is used three times. It's actually implied about five or six times. Sound doctrine, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. Later on in verse 8, sound in speech. In the Greek, this idea of being sound, we literally get the word out of the Greek, hygiene. So kids, think about your parents telling you to cut your fingernails, and boys, teenage boys, put some odor in those shoes, odor eaters in those shoes, like we're talking about hygiene. And so think about that. The, the idea of hygiene in a church is not literal like that. The idea of hygiene in a church is you need to be healthy, and the way that you're healthy is you're sound in truth, that you're sound in faith and love and perseverance, and you're sound in your speech. And so he continues on this theme that he started with to say, how can we take these Christian churches and make them healthy? First thing, we put elders in place, men who are sound in teaching and sound in their life, so that they serve as examples. And here he's going to say to older men, younger men, older women, younger women, Bond servants, he's going to say, you need to be sound. And so he turns to the congregation. He, he turns from the elders who in the last couple of weeks, all the elders in the room are going, uh-oh, am I this? And he turns to the congregation and he says, all the way down the chart, he applies truth and says, here's how we're healthy. And the first thing he does is not go, hey, give to the church, set up structures, 
um, talk about this, talk about that. The first thing he says is, older ought to be investing in younger, and younger ought to be learning from older. There's a discipleship model going on here in this text. And so um, the, first, the first thing I want to do is, is really walk through kind of the, the instruction to the older um, that Paul gives Titus to give to them. Um, just so you know, um, I think the immediate context in this passage is, is surely meant for like uh, the empty nester or the older person. But I would say as it applies to your life, if you're 10 years old in here, and there's some 10-year-olds in here, there are younger people than you in your family, maybe your siblings, that you need to think about applying these principles to your life as well. If you're 25 and you're like, hey, I'm not older, I don't put myself in the older category either. And I'm 40-something. I don't want to do that yet. I'm still fighting that. But I need to think about the people in my life that are younger than me as we think about this. So don't tune it out when we're talking about to the older, model and invest. Don't tune that out. Because even if you're young, there are people that you are influencing by the way that you act and what you do. So consider that as we walk through this. So, but to the older, for example, look at verse um, uh, 2 and 3. You see kind of... Ca- um, characteristics that ought to define the older. A few things that I want to say here. Um, I want you to notice some similarities. As you look at older men and older women, if you take verses 2 and 3 and put those together, they're meant to be above reproach examples, like the elders. That's the implication of the text. Another similarity that you see if you look at verse 2 and 3, um, you, if you just compare the older men and the older women You see the word likewise there in verse 3. It connects those two characteristics. And so they ought to to be demonstrating those. You see, for the older woman, reverent, look back at the older man in verse um, 2, to be dignified. You see a lot of parallels here in these first couple of verses. And so older men ought to be sober-minded, temperate, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, steadfastness. Older women likewise, see it? are to be reverent. I want to stop there because there's sometimes there's little nuggets in Scripture and you just have to share them because you spent time studying, so you have to listen. Um, But the word reverent there, ladies, especially older ladies and younger ladies, I want to say this uh, about this. The idea of reverent there, it's it's an odd phrase. The idea is fitting for the temple. And you're like, well, how's that great? Um, Fitting for the temple, reverent, fitting for the temple. Here's the idea. In God's temple in the Old Testament, there were instruments in that temple that were set apart. They were set apart for God's service and God's use. And so as an older woman, when the idea of being reverent is that you are an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. And sometimes as an older woman or a younger woman, you go, man, my life is taking care of this this husband or these children and changing diapers and all this. You are set apart for God's good work. And sometimes you need to be reminded of that. And so I want to point out one of those little nuggets. But older men, older women, um, you are called in Scripture to model Christ-likeness. You are called to be above reproach, to be an example for the younger around you and invest in their lives. This is the calling. And if you see that, you, you see it in Scripture. How old was Moses when God called him to go deliver the people? From, from Egypt, he was 80 years old. You know what? He didn't want to do it at first, but, but he did it. 
He did it. He was 80 years old when all that happened. So when you read about Moses and all the energy that should have taken to do that work, to go before Pharaoh and pull the people out of Egypt, he was 80 years old. He was an aged man. I hope that's encouraging to you. When you think of Anna in the New Testament, ladies, older ladies, she was 84 years old and she was widowed and she was serving in the temple and she was one of the first to see baby Jesus and recognize who he was. She served She served the Lord at 84 in the temple, praying and fasting and knowing God. And so I want you to be encouraged. If you are older, um, that there are biblical examples. The biblical expectation of someone older, um, if I could paraphrase some of it, listen, if we believe that sanctification ought to progress in our lives, it means that if you're older, you ought to be maturing even more and more that you've walked with Jesus longer and stronger, that you're maturing in your faith, that you're wise, you're invested in the kingdom. Um, However, you know, the flip side of that is often when you get older, you get tired and you get cranky and you get grumpy. I think of Grumpy grumpy Old Men, the 90s movie. The older people know this movie, right? Some of the younger people might not, but the older people do. Grumpy Old Men, you see... um, uh, Jack Lemon and I can't remember the other guy's name. And there's a scene in that movie uh, where uh, one of the guys is looking through his window and he's got the remote and he's clicking. This is like 85-year-old guys and he's clicking uh, the channel changer on his, on his neighbor's uh, TV. And the son is standing back here going, Dad, are y'all ever going to grow up, right? And so oftentimes, and that's fun actually, that you can do that. Um, but the tendency, the older you get, is to get more grumpy and more cynical and look at the younger and go, man, they're messing it up. You know, these millennials, look what they're doing. That, that's the tendency. The tendency is to look at the younger generation, and that's always been, um, and, and see it that way. Or here's what I, I've heard in the church when, when we've approached men and churches I've been in and go, man, we really need you to serve in this way in men's ministry or as an elder because you are an example to the flock. What oftentimes you hear is, Hey, you know what? It's somebody else's turn. I've been there. I've done that. And it's somebody else's turn. And we're saying, no, we need you. There are young families and young men and young women here that need you. And the same was true with older women. We need your investment in the younger women, in this church, in your daughters, in the people that know Jesus. They need to be poured into. You know, don't get me wrong. I... The other, the other day, a couple of the guys invited me to play golf uh, a couple weeks ago, um, some of the older gentlemen in the church, and I said, well, when are we playing? And by the way, you can do that anytime. I, I'll make it work if you want to go play golf. Um, and they said, we're teeing off at 4.30. Well, 4.30 in my family means I got to get a hall pass to do that because I got kids and my wife is gracious. She let me do it. And we got about three quarters of the way through the round and it's it's getting dark and it's August and so it's usually like 110, but it's like 7.30 and, and, and the thought hit me, it was only like 95 degrees, which is really cool, you know, for Houston, at Houston area at that time. And I thought, man, this is awesome. I'm playing golf at 7.30 at night and it's a little bit cooler. I haven't, and then I started thinking, I haven't done this for like 12 years. And it's just the season that I'm in, and I accept the season that I'm in, um, and I'm excited about being a dad, but I'm looking at those guys going, man, this is great. I'm looking forward to empty nesting. So what I'm saying to you is enjoy that. Enjoy the empty nesting. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. You ought to, but you ought to also be investing in the younger. 
Now, John Piper has the famous quote of, don't just collect um, seashells on the seashore in retirement. Man, get in the boat and be fishers of men, right? Invest. It's a call of the older to the younger that Paul has to invest. We need you. We need you. I want you to think about as an older man or as an older woman, the people that invested when you were a little bit younger and maybe even now that are investing or invested in your life when you were trying to figure out how to do kid stuff, when you were trying to figure out how do I love my husband or love my wife. And think about the people in your life that helped you do that. You have an opportunity to do that right here. The average age of people in this, median age of people in this church is 32 with two little kids. And so there is great opportunity, and I watch this happening here. I've only been here a month, but I watch people investing, older investing and younger, younger being willing to learn um, from older, which is really sweet. How do you do this? Um, Sometimes the question is, well, it's kind of presumptuous for me as an older man or as an older woman to um, just kind of throw myself on a young mom or somebody younger than me or a a single girl or a young married, and I'm married. It's kind of presumptuous to do that, and I would just say to you, it's it's not presumptuous, they need it. So I'd encourage you to think about ladies. You have to be kind of present in whether it's women's ministry or church, you have to be present so they know you. And take just, how do you do this? Grab somebody after church that you've spent time with and say, hey, do you wanna go grab coffee sometime? It's not a commitment to like, hey, we're gonna do an 18 month Bible study and we're gonna start in Romans and we're gonna finish, we're gonna go through the whole New Testament for six years. It's not that kind of commitment, it's just a step. A step toward someone younger. And if you, you don't believe me in that and the importance of that, Psalm 71 has, this is a beautiful text. I'm going to go back here in the years that I'm here. Um, I love this text. Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18. I think we have it in the back. Uh, this is an older psalmist who's gone through a lot of pain and he's gone through a lot of hardship, is presently going through, if you read the psalm, he's presently going through a lot of hardship, but he's been through a lot of life. And he says this, O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. I love that. I pray that's true of me when I'm 80 years old that I'm still doing that, that the pain and struggle of life hasn't squeezed that out of me. So even to old age and gray hairs, amen, Oh God, do not forsake me until, and here's what he wants to do, until what? I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. That person had gone through a lot, but they were intent. This psalmist is intent on people knowing the Lord, younger generation knowing the Lord. This is our charge as older. So model and invest. Model and invest. What about the younger? Your turn. To the younger, you would say, watch and learn. And I don't mean that facetiously, I don't mean that arrogantly, but watch and learn. This is what Paul is calling uh, these folks to do. If you're younger, watch and learn. Look at verse five through uh, verse eight. Verse five through verse eight, you see, um, particularly with older women, look at verse three, let me back up. So you see these characteristics in verse three. And then you get uh, to verse 4, and particularly with the woman, uh, the older woman and the younger woman, so as to do what? Train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, okay, so same kind of thought, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. 
Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And so you ought to be learning and growing the idea of training and teaching. It's not just in a classroom. It's in life. And so the implication in this text, particularly for the, for the ladies, older and younger, um, is that you're learning and growing from the investment of an older woman in your life. And I think you see this in Scripture with men all over the place, and we'll get there in a minute. Um, but that is the example that you see watching and learning for the young, um, and that's the context. And so um, you see biblical examples of that all the way through. I want you to think about it this way. I'm going to go back to Moses. Even when he was older, guess what? He had someone in his life, his father-in-law, Jethro. How did Jethro help Moses? You remember they, they finished uh, with the deliverance of, of, of Israel out of Egypt, and now you're setting up kind of court, and he was going to be a judge, and, and Moses was trying to do all this work by himself, and what did Jethro say? He said, hey, why don't, you, why don't you let me help you and set up other judges to discern things and help you do that? So Moses listened to his father-in-law, older father-in-law, Jethro. You see this in Scripture, 2 Timothy 2.2. I think we have that one as well. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, what you have heard, this may be familiar, what you have heard heard from me, learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, if you're learning and heard things from somebody else, that means you're internalizing it, that you're humble enough to say, I will follow. So Timothy, what you've heard and learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, what do you do with that? You entrust it to faithful men who will in turn be able to teach others also. So I think what you see here um, in Scripture and in, in this text and others is that a young person, as a younger person, you ought to be teachable, you ought to be a learner, you ought to be humble, you ought to be full of life and ambition and zeal for the Lord, you also ought to be respectful. What's the contrast? What's the contrast for young people? Sometimes the contrast for young people is, hey, they think they know it all. I was like 30 years old before I really figured out that my parents actually were smart. And they actually knew something. So if you're younger in here and you're thinking, my parents really don't know anything, they actually do. I found it a few years ago. At 25, like, your brain is fully developed. And I think that was about the point where I started realizing that really my parents aren't so dumb, that there are other people that I can learn from. And that takes a while. Oftentimes, it takes pain and hardship and adulting to figure out, doesn't it? And so um, to the younger, uh, the contrast often is, Man, I know it all, I'm prideful, um, I'm impulsive, I look down on older. Sometimes you look down on older because you have bad experiences. You have bad experiences, whether it's a parent or someone in your life that let you down. But Paul is saying here to Titus and to us, and you need to learn from older godly examples. So I'd encourage you uh, to not forsake that and to do that. And I think there's a lot of application uh, for the younger here. To watch and learn takes humility, doesn't it? It takes humility to go, maybe I don't know everything about parenting. Maybe I don't know everything um, about uh, what it looks like to love my spouse. And so we need to learn from those who have gone before us. And so I think this is what's in view. So in your life, um, are you maybe asked some diagnostic questions? Who do I listen to? Who do I listen to in my life? Do I listen to my peers? Is there anybody older than me that I choose to listen to? Why or why not? Those are great questions to ask um, yourself. There's a guy in my life, uh, when I started ministry, he had his kids in, in my youth ministry, and I got to know him in kind of a relational context. 
And after a, a couple of years, um, he came to me one day and had observed some things in my young life. And he said, hey, I just, I just want you to know, I think you need to work on this. And I didn't take it very well. I'm like, no, I don't. Like, I'm a pastor, don't you know that I've got it all together? And it took me about two weeks, and I came back to him, and I said, you know, and I think the Lord had done some work on me. And for about a week there, I was like, I never, anytime that guy talks, I'm not listening. And about a week later, God had just done some work. He's like, he's right. He's an older man who's speaking to my life. He's been in my life. We had things in common, and we spent time together. So he's not a guy that doesn't know me. He's a guy that knows me. And he was willing to have the courage to do that because he cared for me. He entrusted his kids to me as a, as a youth pastor and wanted to invest in me. He didn't do that out of spite or because uh, he just liked uh, confronting people. And I, went, I remember going to him and saying, thank you. I didn't receive that last week. I'm sorry. I'm thankful. And you know what? 17 years later, that's the guy that I still go to. That's the guy that still, I know he loves me and cares for me. And he can say really hard things to me. And I don't say that to build myself up, but it took, as a young man, me dealing with that and me responding in a bad way, and an older man's courage in my life to go, I love him enough to tell him this. I love him enough to care for him. And so I would encourage you younger to watch and learn. Um, and we often do that uh, through, through, through hardship. To get real granular with you, and you're saying, okay, well, I want somebody older in my life uh, to invest in me and to care for me, but how do I go about doing that? What does that look like? That, that's kind of intimidating for a young mom to, to go, or a young lady to go to an older uh, woman and do that. And, and I would say kind of the same thing. Choose to initiate, and um, choose at the end of a service to go, hey, you've watched this person, I would encourage you to do that first. You don't wanna just entrust yourself to anybody, but if there's someone you go, man, I'm watching the way they live, and I'm watching their life and, and godliness, I, they seem to have things in common with me. I'm gonna go ask, can we go get coffee? Can I pick your brain about X, Y, Z, whatever it is, to get your input? You know, what's interesting is, um, I remember my dad a few years ago, I said, Dad, can you show me how to do this? I want to learn how to do X. Or tell me, tell me when you and mom were married and um, with kids and y'all had this situation. And he looked at me and, and he said, you know how to do this. Like, you, you know better than me how to do this. I don't have anything to contribute to you. And I would say to you older, you do. And that's exactly what I told him. I said, Dad, I want to still learn from you and grow from you. And so I think the posture the posture of young, young people, if you consider yourself someone young in need of help, whether it's um, life or parenting or struggle, sin struggle, whatever it is, take initiative, give, take some courage and just ask somebody to go to lunch. Say, hey, can I come over and talk to you about something? Because I know you've been further down the road than me to help me with this. And listen, nobody say no. I'm building this up like real granular, real specifically. If you're older, don't say no. All right, don't say no to the young person that comes to you and say, hey, can you teach me and can you learn from me? And if you're younger, don't say no to the older gentleman or older woman in the church or, or in your life that could contribute to you. Just say yes, just once, say yes, all right? Um, and so this is how I think it works. I would say to you, just real practically speaking, um, if you think about the work that you've, if you've worked outside of the home or in the home, anytime you want to be developed, 
you take initiative, right? And so I would say to the younger, there is a level of onus that's on you to go, hey, I want to be poured into. I want to be invested in. I need to take a step. I need to take a step. So I would encourage you uh, to do this. And then last, I would say uh, to the leader. Um, to the leader, verses 1 and 7 and 8. So um, to the leader, walk your talk. This is what I think you see in verse 1 and 8. So we've kind of dealt with older to younger, uh, model and invest younger to older, watch and learn. Um, to, the, to the young leader, I think verse 7 and 8 are particular to the young man. Some of you ladies are reading this text and you're going, the young man here only gets self-control and there's nothing else. There's a connection, just so you know, there's a connection in verse 7 and 8 to the younger man that he needs to be. So look at it there in verse 7 and 8, um, just for your own benefit. And, and for you younger men in the room, this applies to not only Titus, Paul turning to Titus, but to you. There's not a break here. Um, but as a young man, you need to model good works and teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech. So that is meant for young men, but it's also meant for the leader. It's also meant for Titus here. And so I, I think that's what you have in this text. But look at verse 1. Uh, I want to show you something in verse 1 to the leader in the church, uh, to Titus particularly here from Paul says, but as for you, teach what accords to sound doctrine. Um, the, word, the particular word here for teach is, is more about just normal conversation. And so if I translated that, that verse um, from Greek, uh, it would read something like this. Promote the type of living that reflects a wholesome life. Promote the type of living that reflects a wholesome teaching. Excuse me. So to the leader, walk your talk. To the leader, walk your talk. This is what verse 1 and verse 7 and 8 is saying. But, um, and so I'll just say it this way. Listen, the truth of God's word is not just for a classroom. It's not just for learning on Sunday morning in your community group. Like, I learned some truths and some knowledge, and I close the book, and I come next week. See, the truth is for life and living in normal, everyday conversation. And that is what Paul is getting at with Titus in verse 1. He's saying truth is for life. It's for all of life, not just the classroom setting where I learn information, but it translates, it accords to life. So doctrine accords to life. In verse 7 and 8, um, if I said it one way to the leader, walk your talk, in verse 7 and 8, I would, I would also say talk your walk. Do you see it there? He's telling Titus and he's telling young men to be sound, to be hygienic in speech, to be healthy in the way that you talk. Listen, young, there's some kids in here. I want to say this to you, especially if you're in middle school or you're in high school. What's the temptation with your speech around your friends? The temptation with your speech around your friends is try to impress them by saying um, words that aren't appropriate so you look cool. I want you to think about that in this case to the younger men, to the younger women in the room, to the kids in the room. Don't give in to that temptation, kids. Don't give in to the temptation to try to impress someone around you so much that you're willing to use words that don't honor the Lord. And to the adults, we do the same thing. We're just better at it. We just color it a little differently. The temptation to use our words. And pastors are sometimes the worst. Sometimes pastors are the worst. This is a great passage for any pastor to be reminded of that I have to have from the pulpit in my life, I have to have integrity and character in the way that I speak in conversation and the way that I speak here. What sometimes happens, and it sounds weird maybe to your, your ears, but one of the things for a pastor is, is he wants to say things 
creatively so that it, they catch with you um, as an audience. And so what sometimes pastors end up doing, they take that creative license and they go way too far. And they ruin their integrity and their character with the way that they speak from the pulpit. And I want you to hold me accountable to that. If you don't feel like I'm using words that I should, that I want you to come to me and say, hey, Seth, think about sound speech. Think about this passage. And that applies to any leader in this church as well. We have to resist the temptation for creative license in the way that we speak. That, our, that my speech, that a leader's speech, that an elder's speech, that your speech in your community group ought to be seasoned with salt. That it ought to be sound. Hold me accountable to that. Well, to the older, model and invest. To the younger, observe and learn. I think there's some great practical wisdom in this. To the leader, walk your talk and talk your walk. But to what end? I mean, there's surely a growth component in this passage that I said, like gospel living, multi-generational discipleship helps people grow in their faith. But there's one other thing in this passage and I want you to see it. There, there's, there's a further end goal than just spiritual growth within the body. And look at it, and I think you see it in, in verses, uh, verses 5, the end of 5. So when, he, when the older woman is pouring into the younger woman and teaching her how to love her husband and children, look at the end of verse 5. To what end? That the word of God may not be reviled. So that your living, your gospel living, um, reflects in your behavior. Think about marriage for a minute. The purpose of marriage, Ephesians 5, one of the purposes, the end goals of marriage, is that a, a onlooking world might see Jesus in the way that a husband loves and sacrifices for his wife, that they might see Jesus in marriage. I can't think of a better way in the world that we live in to, to see an amazing contrast between the way the world views marriage and sees marriage to the benefit of self and the way that you serve your husband or you care and sacrifice for your wife. Listen, that's a witness that points people to Jesus so that the word of God may not be reviled. Look at the end of, uh, when he's talking to younger men, look at the end of verse eight. Why sound speech? Why integrity? There's growth, but look at what else. That an opponent, probably thinking of the false teachers particularly, may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. There's a testimony here. There's a witness here. Do you see it? And look at verse 10. Think about your work and think about what kind of testimony you have at work. Do you argue? Do you submit to your boss, whoever your boss is? Do you work hard? Do you pilfer or do you work with integrity? Look at what it says in the end of verse 10. He calls them to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. Why? So that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. In the home, your testimony with your children and in your marriage can have great effect on the gospel message and how people see the gospel and how people see Jesus. And that's true at work as well. Does the way that you work adorn the gospel? So um, it's interesting I just want you to think for a minute what we've said about the Cretans. The Cretans. Their own people said they were what? Their own people said that they were liars, evil, greedy, and lazy. I want you to think about the witness here of a Christian who is truthful, 
who is not greedy, who works hard and has integrity. Listen, um, your punchline kind of today is this. Gospel living attracts a watching world to Jesus. Gospel living attracts a watching world to Jesus. A German philosopher said it this way, who was an unbeliever. He said, he said, show me your redeemed life and I will consider your redeemer. Show me your redeemed life and I will consider your redeemer. And I would say to anybody in the room here who doesn't yet know Jesus, you need to know and you may be disappointed by but you need to know that Christians aren't claiming to be perfect people, to have perfect marriages, to raise their kids perfectly, um, to live life perfectly, but we are a forgiven people who've been redeemed. And so if you don't know Jesus in here, I hope you do see in the people in this room, I hope you do see Christ in them. I hope you can say, as the German philosopher said, show me a redeemed life and I will consider your Redeemer. That's, those, that's the type of life through the power of the Spirit that we want to live in here and out there. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you work in our lives. Lord, we can't, we can't live out the gospel in this way without your Spirit doing a work in our hearts and, and through your grace. We confess that um, we don't do a good job reaching out to older and older. We do confess that we don't um, invest the way we should, but we'd ask you to do a work in our hearts that we might um, love Christ by investing and discipling in our church and that we would have a witness that points the people of Magnolia and the Woodlands and Conroe to our Savior who has redeemed us. In Jesus' name, amen.